All this week, heavy hitters from the United States and Russian governments have been meeting in Geneva to talk through their many differences on Ukraine. We talked about Ukraine on the show a week ago with Amy McKinnon. She's a reporter at Foreign Policy. A key sticking point in Russia's relationship with both Europe and, and the United States since the collapse of the Soviet Union has been the question of NATO expansion. Ukraine wants to join NATO. Vladimir Putin doesn't want them to. And just to underscore the point, he sent about 100,000 of his troops to the Russia-Ukraine border. Lots of troops, big story, lots of people upset. Meanwhile, a Russia-led alliance recently sent a far smaller number of troops to the oil-rich Central Asian nation of Kazakhstan. It has spent 2022 in turmoil, and while it's not getting nearly as much attention for people who watch the region, it is a really big deal. Amy McKinnon from Foreign Policy is one of them. We started with the turmoil. This whole thing began in southwest Kazakhstan as protests against a decision to lift a cap uh, on fuel prices. The year has gotten off to a very bad start in Kazakhstan. It began with a sudden and steep increase in the cost of fuel, sparking deadly protests. For a long time, liquefied petroleum gas has been subject to a cap, which kept prices low. Um, But on January 1st, they essentially lifted that cap, all of a sudden overnight making fuel prices subject to the whims of the market. This caused prices to almost double in some parts of the country. And so in Western Kazakhstan, you know, people came out to the streets to protest these rises in fuel prices. But these protests quickly spiraled and were able to tap into a whole basket, a whole range of both political and socioeconomic grievances across Kazakhstan against corruption, against inequality, regional issues, the country's authoritarian rule. This is a country which has been ruled for for three decades now since the collapse of the Soviet Union with a a very iron fist. Um, These just all kind of converged in, in early January as protests spread across the country. Thousands of Cossacks filled the streets of the capital, Almaty, attacking government buildings and demanding an end to over three decades of oppressive one-party rule. And who's out in the streets protesting? It's been hard to get a good steady stream of accurate information coming out of Kazakhstan because very quickly, as these protests escalated, the government shut off the internet in huge parts of the country. Foreign journalists were prevented from getting in. Mm. There, of course, were many local, very brave Kazakh journalists working amidst all of this. Uh, and, and then, of course, it's um, it's difficult to take what the government says on face value. It's an authoritarian regime, and they have their own kind of particular agenda and, and spin to all of this. So it does appear that what began as a, a genuine protest at socioeconomic, political grievances was kind of hijacked, and particularly in Almaty, which is the biggest city in, in Kazakhstan, hijacked and turned violent by the intervention of criminal gangs, some of whom have been reported to have connections with the family of, of the former president, Nur Sultan Nazarbayev, um, turning these protests uh, violent. And that has been seen by a lot of Kazakh analysts as an indication that behind the scenes that some actors may, as part of an ongoing political power struggle, may have sought to, to capitalize on these protests and, and, and tilt them in a, in a more violent uh, direction. And how does the government respond? The government responds actually by negotiating with protesters in Western Kazakhstan, by agreeing to, to reimpose the, the cap on fuel prices. 
But when protests turned violent in Almaty, you know, police officers were killed. There were some horrific reports of police officers being beheaded amidst the chaos. Um, that's when the government really starts to, to respond and to crack down. The president gave the police the authority to, um, to open fire on protesters. Terrorists continue to damage state and private property and use weapons against civilians. I have given the order to shoot, to kill without warning. And something like 10,000 people have now been arrested. People have been, have been killed amidst the violence. That's huge in such a short space of time in response to protests, They're making these the most, the most deadly protests, the most deadly unrest in, in Kazakhstan's a year since the collapse of the Soviet Union. Okay, so turmoil in the streets. We have no idea at this point how many are dead. The government in Kazakhstan picks up the phone and calls Russia for help. Russia, in turn, sends in some troops, but they do it through this CSTO, which is the Collective Security Treaty Organization. Think of it as Russia's NATO for now. So it was January 5th. So only three days after these protests began, I mean, that is how quickly things really escalated. President Takayev turned to the, the, the CSTO, this Collective Security Organization, and, and asked for them to intervene. He's claimed that there's tens of thousands of, of, of terrorists, in his words, of, of foreign-trained terrorists, and using that as a justification for, for calling in this external security organization. I should say that, you know, whilst there's been reports of, of criminal gangs infiltrating the protests and, and kind of fueling the violence, I haven't seen any compelling evidence of, of foreign uh, influence fueling these protests. Um, that has kind of become the the regional authoritarian leaders, kind of the dog ate my homework excuse uh, for cracking down on on, on dissent and, uh, and civil society as as pointing to kind of shadowy foreign interference, which is is fueling these protests. Who shows up when they call in the CSTO? The CSTO dispatched some two and a half thousand troops, mostly Russian troops, but there was also some from uh, from other members of the alliance, so from Belarus, Kyrgyzstan, Armenia, uh, and they're dispatched to protect government buildings, to protect the oil industry. So they don't exactly hit the streets to quell these protests. They don't hit the streets. Amidst the violence in Almaty, government buildings were set on fire. Protesters stormed the airport. And so the CSTO troops were mostly deployed to these kind of points of critical infrastructure. The violent crackdown on protesters appears to have really been led by the security forces within Kazakhstan. And the CSTO troops were really just brought in as kind of the heft on the sidelines to protect these institutions. That being said, how often does something like this happen? How often is the CSTO called upon to enter a nation and and secure government facilities or something like that? As far as I'm aware, this is at least the third time in the CSTO's history that a member has called upon an intervention. This is the first time the alliance has responded. In the past, they've always demurred, declined these requests. And so the CSTO was kind of seen as a, as a little bit of a paper tiger. And so that's why it was such a shock to everybody who follows the region that they responded. And they, they responded so quickly. I mean, they were on the ground, I think, within 24 hours of the request being made. Excuse me, 
More with Amy in a minute. Support for the show today comes from Mint Mobile. There's lots of ways to spend $15. Like, I don't know, what would I spend $15? Maybe like a really good burrito and a drink? Because I think $15 for just the burrito would be a little steep, but with a drink, you know? Probably about that. Anyway, you could also put your $15 towards a new phone plan from guess who? Mint Mobile. By switching to Mint Mobile, you could say goodbye to an overpriced monthly plan or unexpected fees. How much does your cell phone plan cost? Probably not $15. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, you can go to mintmobile.com slash explained. That is mintmobile.com slash explained. You can cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explained if they really want me to say that. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month, obviously. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Support for Che Explained comes from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you like spy thrillers or indeed Elizabeth Moss, then you might want to check out FX's The Veil. It's an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. Oh, I'll go. One woman has a secret, same here, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Amy, before we get into why the CSTO was called upon here in Kazakhstan and why they actually showed up this time, what exactly is this organization? I mean, Russia's NATO seems like the shorthand, but is that all it is? I think Russia would like to see it as Russia's NATO. NATO definitely doesn't view it as that. Um, They have avoided any kind of dealings with the CSTO to avoid just giving it any legitimacy. Um, It has its roots in um, in a collective security treaty, which was signed in 1992, shortly after the collapse of the Soviet Union, between several countries that made up the Soviet Union as a a collective security pact. And then this was in 2002, kind of reconstituted into what we now know as the Collective Security Treaty Organization. Right now, aside from Russia, it has five other members, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan and Central Asia, Armenia, Belarus, and of course, Kazakhstan. Um, And it has been compared to NATO because like NATO, the CSTO is based on a principle of collective defense, right? So an attack on on one is an attack on all. NATO has Article 5, the CSTO has Article 4, which is is basically the same. And that's what um, the president of Kazakhstan invoked um, when he claimed that there was, was foreign terrorists were behind this unrest and ask the CSTO to intervene. And this is the first time the CSTO actually has intervened. You mentioned that there were two other cases where requests were made. What happened then? The sparks that set off these protests in Kyrgyzstan's capital city, Bishkek, were corruption, poverty, and rising prices, including a 200% hike in electricity bills. 
So in 2010, amidst unrest in Kyrgyzstan, the country's interim president then asked the CSTO to intervene, and they declined. And it's not clear why. It may have been because there was an element of inter-ethnic violence going on and not wanting to wade into that. Hmm. And just last year, Armenia asked the CSTO to intervene uh, amidst a border dispute with Azerbaijan, which was coming on the heels of, of the renewed conflict in Nagorno-Karabakh. Fighting between Azerbaijan and Armenia over the disputed territory of Nagorno-Karabakh is in its ninth day. Both sides have accused each other of attacking civilian areas and the casualties are going up. Um, And again, the CSTO declined to intervene. Why? Do we know? So Armenia asked for for support from the CSTO amidst these border incursions from Azerbaijan. Um, And they thought about it and the the alliance took a few months to respond. But ultimately, they declined to get involved. And the the bloc secretary general said late last year that it was essentially a border incident um, and that the alliance could only be invoked in the case of an aggression or an attack, which makes it all the more interesting that they have now decided to to intervene in Kazakhstan. And yet Kazakhstan calls on the CSTO in early January for these very internal sounding issues, you know, protests over inequality and and, and price hikes with, with fuel, and they show up. Do we have any idea why? So there's two parts, I think, to that. The first is, why did Kazakhstan call on the CSTO? That may have been because, you know, it's not clear whether, you know, amidst this power struggle, which is kind of brewing behind the scenes, whether President Dokayev felt that he could trust the military to actually come to his aid. You know, Kazakhstan does have its own army, fairly formidable security forces. They have the means domestically to crack this down. And, and kind of ultimately they did. Um, as we know from, from previous examples of authoritarian regimes, the moment that elites lose control of the security services, they're ousted from power pretty quickly. So he may have had his own questions about that. Um, And then, you know, there's the second part of that, which is, well, why did the CSTO respond? And it's nominally a multi-nation grouping, but it's really, you know, it's seen as doing, as as led by Russia and, and doing Russia's bidding. And You know, one thing we know about the Kremlin's foreign policy is that they are extremely opportunistic. You know, they're very good at recognizing where there may be an opening to kind of tip things in their favor. And to just step back and give you a kind of sense of, well, what is Kazakhstan's role? Where does it sit in the kind of broader structure of alliances in the region? Kazakhstan, like a lot of Central Asia, has for a long time been very skillful at being on good terms with all of the major players in the region, right? With, with They've maintained good relationships with, with Russia, but also with China, with India, uh, with the West, with the United States. And, and it's been kind of, there's been this kind of harmonious balance. And so Russia may have seen an opening here to make themselves, you know, once you have essentially propped up a leader and kind of come to their aid in the midst of, of mass unprecedented unrest, you know, you really have made yourself dispensable to that leader. They may have seen an opening to position themselves closer to the Kazakh president, closer to the Kazakh leadership. And so that then raises a lot of questions. Well, well what does Russia want in return, right? They don't do this uh, out of benevolence. Does that mean that we might be seeing them making appearances in Central Asia more often? When President Tokayev framed the unrest as being fueled by an external terrorist threat, I mean, that's a kind of similar excuse we see from leaders throughout the region. President Alexander Lukashenko made similar remarks in Belarus. And so if the CSTO is willing to take that on face value and intervene, I mean, you it's not hard to see how in another country in the region, in the midst of unrest, 
a leader invokes those those magic words of an external terrorist threat, whether, you know, highly likely to be imagined, it's not hard to imagine the CSTO potentially using the Kazakhstan model and, and repeating a similar intervention. So it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out. And like, what sense do we get of Russia's long game here? This is an advantageous favor they're doing Kazakhstan. And then, of course, simultaneously, they're amassing troops at the Ukrainian border. They're telling the West that if Ukraine joins NATO, all hell's going to break loose. I mean, what exactly is the game that Russia is playing right now? Is it just trying to rebuild the Soviet Union, the Soviet bloc? I think if you were to boil it down into one word as to what the Russian strategy is here, it's influence. What they have demanded, and they've been pretty vocal about this, is they they want influence over their neighbors. You know, they do see the former Soviet Union, uh, the former communist bloc, as, as their sphere of influence. When, whenever they see an opportunity to just kind of put their thumbs on the scale in a regional crisis to, you know, to, to gain some more influence and leverage, even if just by a couple of inches, um, they're certainly very good at seeing those openings and seizing upon them very quickly. Amy McKinnon, she's a reporter with Foreign Policy. You can read her work at foreignpolicy.com. We spoke with Amy Wednesday morning. On Thursday morning, we got reports that the CSTO had begun withdrawing its troops from Kazakhstan. Our show today was produced by Victoria Chamberlain, engineered by Afim Shapiro, fact-checked by Laura Bullard, and edited by Matthew Collette and Noelle King. Hello! As you may have heard, Noelle's our new co-host. You'll start hearing from her on the regular beginning February 16th, which will also be our thousandth episode. Mark your calendars. The rest of the team includes Miles Bryan, Will Reed, Hadi Mawagdi, Halima Shah, and Amin Al-Sadi, who's our supervising producer. Liz Kelly Nelson is Vox's Veep of Audio. We use music from Breakmaster Cylinder and Noam Hassenfeld, too. We had extra engineering help this week from Paul Mounsey. I'm Sean Ramos for him. Today Explained is part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.